Blog Talk Radio. It's Sunday evening, and welcome to Pause I Am Radio. Your hosts for tonight's show are Robert Brenning and Jack McEnroe. They'll be taking your calls and speaking with a different guest each week. You're encouraged to call in and share some of your life experiences with us. The number to call is 347-215-9442. That number again, 347-215-9442. Welcome to Pause I Am Radio. everyone and welcome to Pause I Am Radio. I'm your host Robert Brining this evening. My co-host is the fabulous Jack McEnroe. How are you doing Jack? Happy holidays. Thank you. How are you? I'm great. I'm telling you what, they're sneaking up on me. I know. I, um, I'm not a, I don't mean to be scroogey, but um, Christmas in New York is like mayhem because so many people come here. So I'm actually leaving tomorrow morning uh, at <laughs> At 7.30 to go to Miami for 10 days, so I'm not really even doing Christmas. <laughs> um, so you're just going to spend Christmas down in Miami? Yeah, I didn't Your buy family myself. doesn't live in New York, do they? No, my family's all in Seattle, but I'm not, I'm going to, I had, um, uh, I did Christmas with some friends this weekend, like the presents thing, and then the rest I'm not even going to. You know, I'm just going to lie in the sun and swim and not even, you know. Christmas in Miami is kind of hilarious to see, like, Christmas decorations up and it's 80 degrees out, so. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm looking for I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Is it the first time you're in Miami for Christmas? Yeah, 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 because it's um, the first time I've had my place on there done, so. Um, I'm excited about it actually. It's, well, I'm not a, I've always had a little struggle through the winter months here because I seem to have, you know, seasonal affective disorder. And when the days start to get really short and it's dark and cold, I kind of don't do very well mentally. So I'm, I try to, trying to get out of here as much as possible this winter, which is just fine. So it's a great place to go then. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's getting cold. And it's free. I mean, it's freezing here today. I'm sure it's freezing in Philly. Yeah, it is. Very it's yeah. like to the bone today. Yeah, totally. Uh, so, what are you doing? I've been in the Christmas shopping galore. I know. It's it's almost, see, that's crazy. the other thing. It's like it's the pressure. It's the pressure of like I like to give gifts all the time when I know right. someone wants something or I see something that I think someone would like. But when you're like you have a checklist of like 20 people that you have to make gifts for. It's like more stress than it is fun to me. I don't know. There's something about it. It's always very anxiety inducing. So. Yeah. It becomes more about the presents and the giving than it does about what Christmas is supposed to be about. Whatever you want it to be, just family being around your family. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Just, yeah. So like you said that pressure to get the gift that they want. <laughs> I know, I know, yeah. No, I gave a gift to someone and he complained about something, and I was like, really, girl? I'm like, it's not like I just gave you, like, a $4,000 watch. I'm like, if you don't like it, you can throw it away or take it back or give it to someone else. I'm like, I'm I'm like, okay, <laughs> sorry. It's <laughs> <laughs> a gift receipt or something, that's what you do. Um... Can you say that again? I said, well, uh, usually what I do, I just throw in the gift receipt. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I like to do stuff that's, like, I'm not, I don't really care about spending money so much. I mean, I don't really have a lot anyway. So I do stuff like, um, like, one friend of mine had a picture of the two of us that he really liked, and he mentioned it, and he's like, oh, that's so cute of us. And so I had it, um, I had it blown up, and I bought a really cool picture frame, and, I do stuff like that more that's, that's a little awesome. bit creative as opposed to just going to, like, you know, Pottery sure. Barn or whatever and buying a bunch of crap that no one needs. So, <laughs> 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 well, 
Well, I mean, that's kind, of what, that's kind of what it ends up being. You're like, really? Do I need – I don't think I need another, you know, Hello Kitty magnet set from my mom. Thanks very much, but no, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a big Hello Kitty fan? I was, actually. Like, this is a, this is a really embarrassing question, but, yeah, I was. <laughs> like, I, I I had all this Hello Kitty stuff until way through way through college. And then I finally, I had I had all this stuff. I got appliances. I have, I still, the only thing I kept, I have Hello Kitty headphones that I, that are like big, uh, you know, like the Dr. Dre. They're not that good of quality, but I still keep those. And I get looked on the subway when I wear them because they're white and they have silver Hello Kitties on each side. But, um, but I, one day was looking around and I'm like, um, I'm like a 30 year old man and I have like a Hello Kitty, like stuff all over my room. I'm like, I think it's time for it to go. So I let it all go. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's yeah. too funny. Things you don't know there, about Jack. Yeah, well, I, a, I, I still love Kitsch. There's a big part of me that's into Kitsch. Do you know Kid Robot, um, the brand Kid Robot? No. There's a brand called Kid Robot, and there's another one called Tokidoki, and they're kind of like Hello Kitty for adults. They're like, they have a skater, skater big skater following, and um, they have all these weird little characters and um, little plastic weird freaky animals and stuff, and... I'm, now I'm kind of obsessed with them, so um, it's weird. Yeah, but like, if you're into that kind of stuff, look up Kid Robot. It's it's really it's really cool. Um, yeah, but don't you hate you like, when you're into something and people know you collect it, then that's all you get, and then you have so many. Yeah, well, the kid, the, that kind of stuff now is for adults. It's not cheap. Like you can buy like like I have a a, a Karl Lagerfeld doll that's about eight inches high from. Tokidoki, and it was like two hundred and fifty dollars. Like, it's a collecting. They only made eight hundred or something. So, I mean, stuff like that. It's all crazy, weird collector, you know, BS. Right. But, um. Yeah. So. Yeah, and then I'll be I'll be down there. I come back to New York for New Year's, and then, then you know, back to work. Got to figure out. I'm gonna try to write a lot while I'm down in Miami over the next two three months, and then. I don't know what I'm doing anymore with my life. <laughs> it's I a have new to make some major life decisions. What? And we all have to make big decisions. It's 2012. Right. Oh, right. Are we all going to die or something? The world's ending. <laughs> maybe I, maybe that's a maybe it's a good out. I don't need to make any decisions. I'll just say like, well, you know, the rapture's coming, so I'm just gonna <laughs> get to a home perm and watch TV. Yeah, well, my easy bake oven. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Oh, Blame shit, it on the rapture, cool. girl. Blame it on the rapture. So, so what else, that, what else is going on? Nothing else. I've just been doing a lot of Christmas shopping, a lot of, you know, scrambling to figure out everything, you know what I mean, for next year and guests and stuff like that. So it's just been just, you know, full on trying to get everything I need to get done before the end of the year. Right, right, right. And you asked before, before we went live, you asked about the calendars, and yes, I gave, I sent you two sets because before I realized it was from you, oh, don't worry, honey, trust me, I ordered, I have, well, initially I had 2000 because you got a big price break at 2000 like, and the difference between 1000 and 2000 was really minimal, and I'm going to have so many left over. So, at this point, I'm starting to, like, when I went to a couple of events where I spoke and stuff, and um, I went to a black tie event, I just brought, like, 200. And I was like, here, give them, like, you know, auction them off or whatever for charity or – so don't even worry about it. But um, cool. I didn't – yeah, I didn't – the reason why I say you two more is because I wouldn't have – if I would have known it was to you all. But I don't remember what I wrote in the first one because I didn't know it was you because you didn't use your normal email. So I just right, wrote, like – Yeah, I wrote, like, hey – queen or whatever like <laughs> um yeah so so let's see i'm excited about tonight's guest um i i confirmed everything with her so she should be calling in shortly but um for those of you who are unfamiliar with our guest our guest this evening is bishop joyce turner keller and she is fabulous i met her at the adapt advocacy association uh conference 
that was held uh, this past July in uh, D.C., and she was the keynote speaker, and she was just amazing. She blew me away from the moment she got up there. I mean, she, she was the type, she's the type of person, now she's on the line listening, so now I get nervous, but she's the type of person who walks into the room and, like, you're just drawn to her. She had this lovely red-colored hair, you know what I mean? Like, she stuck out, like, look at me, I am here, and I'm going to teach you something, you know what I mean? And she put a face to HIV and AIDS that you don't, you know, you don't usually see. A lot of people assume that this is a gay disease. So to have a woman of her, you know, authority to, to open up and talk about it, you know, she's been a, a minister for over 30 years, and she is the founder and CEO of Aspirations, a nonprofit based community service organization. Um, I believe that is in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. But she's also somebody who's living with HIV herself, and she's dedicated to helping others and, and really, you know, speaking and asking. Her keynote thing was, where are you at? Asking where everybody was at. And, you know, when she needed help, where, is she, where are we? So please help me welcome Bishop Joyce Turner-Keller to the show. Welcome Hello. How are you? Hi. Hi. Welcome. I have been listening to your... I've been listening to your kitty story. I love it. Oh, <laughs> uh, we talk we talk about a whole lot of nothing sometimes on here. So before we get all before we get all serious, you know. Well, that's quite all right. You know what? We need some lightness in this. And when we have, we're dealing with such heavy, you know, heavy subjects and heavy budget cuts, we need to kind of lighten up. But so, so true. So I did see season? a really I did see a really cute picture of the two of you on the Pause I Am site. That's where you met for you. Was that where you met Robert at the ADAP conference? Sure did. Yeah. He is phenomenal. I had a great time with him. I mean, we were just like we we were you know we were just out there, way out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the Carry two of on. us in one room is just I mean that's a whole lot for anybody to handle. <laughs> God, if Jack was there, it would have been a something else. Oh, God. (laughs) Well, see, Jack, I had the opportunity of seeing you on stage at uh, at one of the the, uh, National Minority AIDS Council conferences down, uh, I think we were in Miami. Oh, good, good, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And everybody was chasing you, so I didn't have the opportunity to, to even get up and get a picture. I was like, okay, that's okay. My time uh, coming. Uh, you will, you'll see me again. Don't worry. I ain't going nowhere. <laughs> well, I enjoyed your show. I enjoyed your speech, and I loved the way you designed, because I'm a lady of fashion myself, so. Oh, good. Well, I saw that red hair. I'm like, oh, she's working out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so explain, I would assume, like, that you're an amazing speaker as well, because, you know, with, with what you do within the church community, like, that's, like, oration is a great skill to have, I would assume, correct? Uh, yes. Yeah, and loving English and writing, you know, that kind of gave me, uh, the platform that I needed, and I had a great teacher in high school who assumed that I would, right now, be, uh, on Broadway and would have won a couple of Oscars and all that stuff by now, and it just didn't happen. Nobody ever discovered me except Robert. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's never, it's never too late. You never know. So, but um, well, no, that's great. That's great. So, well, and you're using it now, obviously, for great things. So, you know, some things are more important than Oscars. Well, that's true, and and I think this fight, you know, what could I do with an Oscar but sit it on the the shelf and allow it to gather dust? But right now, you know, here we have a platform, and we have an issue that enough people are not addressing, and, you know, all too often we find ourselves uh, on the public stage uh, talking about HIV and AIDS, and people have a tendency to want to turn a deaf ear because it's something that they really don't want to talk about. Because once they hear it and they find out that you're living with it, and they then they have to do something about it. And sometimes people don't want to do nothing. They don't want to be involved. Uh, they want to be accusatory and they want to be judgmental, but they don't want to be proactive. So, or even you know, 
uh, even I think there's also another faction where people that are not even so much well, judgmental is a part of it, but it's like more personally judgmental and mm-hmm. you know, um in terms of I I mean I go to therapy and I go to a support group still and I talk mm-hmm. to people and there were these, you know, guys who were HIV positive themselves and they had, had you know, evolved to a certain degree. But they were saying, you know, they just found out within the last couple of years and they they still judged. You know, before it happened to them, mm-hmm. they had a judgment. And when they found out, they were like, I don't want to be a person living with HIV. And they both contemplated killing themselves for a minute. And I was like... That is so shocking to me. I mean, I understand, you know, and we're in Manhattan. I'm talking about in Manhattan, like, you know, where it's very, the, you know, people living with HIV, it's quite visible. You know, I understand that kind of, and I do hear those stories. A lot of people that feel that they're the only one and they don't have support, but, but that just shocked me. I was like, you know, with, especially with all the treatments and, and people doing so well that you still have to remember there are people out there that when they get the news, you know, you know, sometimes I think you guys, you, all three of us, when we're, we're at a a conference or something, we feel like we're preaching to the choir because Mm -hmm. we are a lot Mm -hmm. of times because we're talking to people that are very familiar with this kind of thing. But, you know, if just one or two people hear this, that really need it at that moment, that are going through something hardcore and, you know, it can make a big difference just hearing what we have to say and talking about it in a really frank manner and just being like, you know, this is it. We're, we're living it. We're doing fine. It's good. You know? And then I think sometimes it's the perception that people see when you're doing well, that they think that you don't have bad days. They don't realize you know, what the side effects of the meds are doing to you, or they don't understand uh, that you're going through and dealing with the same rejection, alienation, and, right. uh, you know, the same thing, the side effects, or, you know, the still having the diarrhea from meds, because sometimes things just don't change. Or right. you, you, you're getting the weight gain, and you can't get the weight off, and that figure eight turns to a figure O, and you know, you began to. <laughs> that cute little skirt you used to wear doesn't fit anymore. And you know, it just get, I mean, your body begins to change. And people don't understand that just because you're smiling on the outside that you may be dealing with something else on the inside. And I think it's, it's imperative, though, that we do not become invisible, that, that we still have to be vocal. We still have to raise hell. We still have to be heard. Uh, this is in, in one fight. I, I, I know my grandmother would probably roll over in her grave if she, if, if she could even hear me right now. But she used to always say, a lady should always be seen and not heard. And, and, and this would really shake her up to know that I'm heard more often than I'm seen. <laughs> if I hear me before I get there, it's like, oh, God, here comes that crazy woman again. But, you know, I find that the more vocal you are, we have a tendency to alienate people sometimes because we are so strong. And, Robert, you are that way. Um, we kind of, you know, <laughs> Robert, you, you alienate a lot of people, Robert. <laughs> yeah. You know, we kind of, you know, we kind of clear rooms when we walk in. And, and, and whenever there's, when people have to choose sides or choose people to work with, we're the ones usually left at the table that nobody chooses. You know, you're like that kid on the playground that nobody wants to play with. But you have to reach down within yourself and know that there's something within you that people fear that somebody else may need. So you got to keep putting it out there whether they want to play with you or not. And and, and as an HIV-positive woman uh, living in, in, in a place like Baton Rouge, who, I mean, you know, some people say we're still behind the times, but I think that ignorance and lack of knowledge, lack of education, and, and lack of people actually taking this disease serious and believing that can happen to them too, uh, it's always as if it's going to be somebody else. Because at one time I was there. I was thinking, you know, I'm this praying woman. There's no way this is going to happen to me. Um, AIDS didn't have anything to do with me. I'm a black woman. I mean, how am I going to get HIV? How am I going to become infected with AIDS? Uh, I'm taking all the necessary precautions that I'm supposed to take. I mean, I'm praying. I'm going to church. I'm helping anybody I can. 
I mean, I'm doing all the things that I'm supposed to do as a Christian woman. And now I find that our greatest challenges in reaching the church is dealing with married women, single women, and women who go to church. Because they believe that if they pray, that HIV and AIDS will not get beyond that prayer. But I never knew prayer. You know, I mean, prayer can protect you. I can't say, I'm not going to say that God can't do anything for you. That's not what I mean. In, as, after being in the ministry for over 40 years, there's no way I would dare say that what God cannot right. do. But what I will say is that their actions and behavior that will cause things to be different than what we want our outcomes to be when we pray. Right. Simple, simple, as, simple as that. And that I, I would tell anybody that I don't. you can wrap yourself up in prayer, but if you're going to have sex, wrap yourself up with a condom. Right. <laughs> no, that's good. You know, pray well. If you're going to protect yourself with prayer, then protect yourself, you know, safely with sex. Right. Because, you know, even if when you're having sex, you can't just say that, you know, I prayed my way through it. Yeah, you may call on God when doing the act, you know, saying, oh, my God, this is whatever. But the bottom line is is that they will not protect you from getting HIV AIDS. We have to be proactive, and we have to talk about condoms. We need to talk about uh, behavior changes. We need to talk about making healthier choices. And even when we are in church, we've got to do this. We've got to talk about what we need to do. It's necessary. And we've got to stop lying to kids, telling kids that sex is this horrible thing. No, it's not. It's a good thing. If it wasn't so right. good, why we keep doing it? Stop right. good about it. <laughs> well, no, and I, I actually think was when I was reading your bio and your all the information, and it's, is I think that's it's a group. You know, the the church faith in the faith based groups groups have it's been a, it's they've been a really hard uh, forum to reach in many respects because of a lot of their belief systems. And I don't want to generalize and insult anyone, but you know about certain, certain, you know, beliefs in homophobia and high-risk groups and mm-hmm. judgments on that and what different people believe. And I know that community has been really hard to reach in a lot of ways. And I think so it's great that you're in there, you know, so visible doing the work that you do. And, and don't you, do you agree with me? I mean, in a lot of ways that's true. But we, we have to be proactive in the church. And if if I'm going to preach and if I'm going to teach, then I cannot be selective about my message. If I'm going to tell the truth, then I have to be, I have to tell the truth in, 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 in its totality. I cannot be selective about how it is necessary to save a man's life. I mean, if, if, if I'm going to say, help someone save their soul, then I've got to help that person first to save his or her life. Give that person a reason to live. You know, we've got to do this. I went on my Facebook page today, and I don't go on the page, on it very often, but I wanted to make sure I contacted Robert and sent, sent him a new number. And I noticed that someone has sent me um, an, a, a message on Facebook. His name is Jay, and I don't think he cares. He lives in the U.K., and he's been uh, he was newly diagnosed two months ago. And he said he just thought God didn't love him anymore. But after seeing a couple of the videos that I had done, he, you know, wanted to thank me for putting that video out there and reminding him that God still loves him and knows that he's still a person that God can love. And for me, that was so powerful because I'm thinking, my God, I've reached somebody in the U.K. That That is phenomenal to think that what we do here, does matter, even though we don't get the thank yous or the accolades that, you know, some people think that you should have. But when you get a message from across the world that says that your message matters, it's okay. We've got to keep putting it out here. And I know that there are some that think we need to be quiet, but that's okay. And there are some people in the church who thinks that, you know, Joyce, you talk about HIV all the time. Well, I have to talk about it because every morning I get up and I look in the mirror, I see HIV AIDS staring back at me. So this is this is a part of who I am. HIV and AIDS has become a part of my life. 
it has given me a platform that has taken me into crack houses to talk to people who need to be delivered from from crack and not 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 from their sins. And see, that's the thing we've got to draw that line. We've got to talk to the churches and get the people in the church. And we're not just talking about the pastors. We're talking about people who go to church. This is a community that we have to address and let them know that we've got to take the shame, sex, blame, and sin out of the conversation and let them know that this is not just a a horrible act, but this is a human act, and and this, this is a human issue. And anybody who knows anyone who's living with HIV is living with HIV themselves. And any person who has ever had unprotected sex is at risk for HIV. And anybody who's ever had unprotected sex, who's had more than one partner, needs to get tested. I don't care how long you've been married. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's what we need to do. We need to make sure that it is understood that a mortgage, a wedding ring, and a marriage license does not protect you from HIV-AIDS. No, unfortunately, and unfortunately, it doesn't. I don't, I'm sure you've heard many stories where people have said, "Oh, my husband is," or "My wife told was mm-hmm. telling me this story," and it mm-hmm. turns out not to be true. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's unfortunate, but it happens, and you're right. Everyone, you, you know, I think, you know, there's 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 a case to be made that testing should be part of everyone's annual physical. Like, you know, I mean, I agree. You know, so. Well, you know, I, I I have been blessed with two of the most wonderful doctors here in Baton Rouge, and that is Dr. Ronnie Whitfield, who happens to be one of, uh, my primary physician here in Baton Rouge, and he's known as the hip-hop doc. And then there's Dr. <laughs> Anton Edwards, and these are two young, phenomenal black physicians. And I'm not just talking about them because of their color. I'm talking about them because of their passion that they have right. for the people in their communities. I'm talking about how they're willing to partner with me to actually, you know, allow me to come in and 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 provide HIV/AIDS testing because you know there are times when people can't afford these these they can't afford to get tested for HIV in the doctor's office because they just don't have the money. Okay. And these two these two phenomenal men are kind enough to allow me to come in and to provide testing, you know, for people who need it and and, 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 and not bill them for it. Now, that's the amazing thing. You know, if I've got a free test and I can go in because I've been working with some people who've been helping me with that, it's just phenomenal because not many people will open their doors to offer that kind of service to a community. But these are two men who actually care about the people in their community. And it's not about the dollar. It is actually, you know, about saving lives and making a difference in their communities. And I applaud these two young men. I really do. I applaud them. I applaud them. Well, and, Robert, I applaud, I applaud you. Uh, and, and, Jack, thank you so much for coming on to the world stage and, and really, you know, making this 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 message be heard uh, in, in, in a realm where people kind of shut themselves off because they're thinking about everything else, well, I've got to get my house done and I've got to have this beautiful outfit and do, get this done. But they don't think that, you know, oftentimes that when we get dressed, what we have to cover up. Right. You know, we, we, we're covering up sometimes the pain. We're covering up agony. We're covering up fatigue when we get dressed. And and I, I look, I noticed that you, you, you're you doing this, you just made, just got this campaign out there now, Positive by Design. I applaud you for that, living positive by design. And and even now that we're living positive, we can do what we need to do, you know, to and help even, somebody. You know, and, and, and more literally, literally, in Mondo Guerra, who is a part of the project as well, mm-hmm. he he had scar. He let his, before he, he, he was so in denial about his HIV status and mm-hmm. let his T-cells, he has KS scars up and down his legs uh-huh. from... And he and like you're when we're talking about literally covering up uh-huh. things when we get dressed. I mean, there are people that are hiding lipodystrophy and scars, and you know. Well, I'm one of those. Well, 
That's what I'm doing. I mean, yeah. I almost lost my right leg to HIV. Right yeah. now, I mean, for the last uh, three or four weeks, I've been barely able to move with my right leg. I drove all the way to South Carolina to speak December 1, and I spoke at a church, and uh, it was World AIDS Day. And I could barely walk, but I did it. You know, I did what I said I was going to do. I committed to that, and, and I have to applaud that pastor. Her name is uh, Pastor Gaston. She has a passion for the people in her community, and she opened the doors of her church so that they would have a, a, a venue to host this event. And there were community leaders there. There were a group of ministers there from other churches. And they were so receptive and open to the message about HIV. And this was in uh, Sumner, uh, South Carolina, and it was at uh, St. Mark Church. And it was it's St. Mark, uh, I think it was, I don't know, if, I think it was, uh, it was a Methodist church. But just to see the people in that church be so open and so ready to hear the message that resonated through the community, and I've had such positive feedback from it that I'm going to be going back in April to uh, speak again. I think it's April 19th that I've been able, I've been invited back to, uh, to to help with the fundraiser in South Carolina. So it's it's making a difference, and and it's it's, it's necessary. And then to have people actually began to ask questions about, they're still asking questions, how did you get this disease? And you would think that 30 years into this disease, this fight, that people would actually be knowledgeable about what's going on with this disease. And to nope. have someone 30 years later ask the question, how do you get it? Yeah. That's frightening. No, it is. I mean, I had someone, just this kid, actually, who, um, you know, well, a kid to me is under 30, but, (laughs) you know, um, but he, you know, he was like, he just found out about his HIV status, and he was like, can you give it to someone by kissing them? And I was like, God, it's like, you know, so many people are just, you know, until the information becomes a very crucial part of their lives, they just ignore it. They just ignore it. And, like, that's why we need to do what we need to do. And I think also one of the messages that I was getting from what you were saying is, is I think, you know, there's a faction of the the very sort of devout religious right that, mm-hmm. Gives, mm-hmm. that, that gives a bad rap to to the rest of the religious community where it's about, it's, it's about passion and compassion. And, mm-hmm. and that's what's at the crux, that's what that's at the crux of it. And when you, when you approach it that way and say, listen, this is a human condition. It's not about judging someone Thank you. for behavior. It's about, yeah, it's about reaching out to people they need it, explaining, you know, how you contract it, how you can prevent it, all the things that you need to know to protect yourself and live the life that, you know, if you're a faith-based person that God wants you to live. And, you know, I, I think that is why when I get up to speak, I find myself apologizing for the churches that have not yet evolved to where they can actually talk about HIV. Because I know for a fact that there are ministers who are burying their members and still uh, and still saying that these people are dying from cancer or oh, they yeah. died from pneumonia. But they never mentioned that they're dying from HIV or AIDS. And, and we have a platform every Sunday. We... The church has been at the forefront of, of of all of the major changes in America. And we, we can't say that we have not been, because we have been. The church was in, very involved in civil rights. Then this is a, These are human rights. And, and we've got to stop judging people based on what our religious beliefs are. Because I think when it comes to a health issue... My religion is my own. I can't 
force anybody else to, to be me, and I don't even try and change anybody. That's not my job. Right. My job is to be an educator. My job is to go out and teach. Whatever my personal beliefs are, those are my own, because I can only save one soul, and that is mine. And, and, and you know, just I may not agree with the way some uh, some people live their lives or whatever their gender preferences are, but that has nothing to do with me because that same person may not agree with what mine is. Right. So, you know, we have to learn to respect the choices that other people make and let God do the judging. That's not my job. Exactly. Well said. That, 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 that is not my job. I don't need to police your bedroom. In order to help you, you know, girl, you don't become wanna. a better Christian. I, I don't mean a better Christian. I mean a better human being. And when I say a better Christian, for me, that means me knowing how to walk in the middle of the road instead of being, you know, some people say, "Well, you're on the fence." No, I'm not on the fence. I know who I am. I know whose I am. But I don't have to tear you down to be me. I don't have to tear you down to feel good about me. Because how do you judge? I mean, how do you weigh sin? I mean, what scale do you weigh sin on? You know, wrong is wrong. And how do I say whatever we do is wrong? Because, I mean, if you can sin through thought, then why, you know, it's just as wrong for me to have sex with a man outside of marriage if we're going to talk about morality as it is for people to go around and say, well, it's wrong for two men to sleep together, two women to sleep together. Then it's still wrong. Wrong is wrong. So... But you still give me my communion and still allow me to walk in church. And let's be know we, we need to start also address the fact that sin happens in the church. We know preachers get the women knocked up. Bottom line. Right. I mean, it's the truth. So we, I'm not tearing down churches. I, what I'm saying is that we, every man, according to the scripture, say that we've all come short of the glory of God. Every man, you know, we sin through thought. And I think that we need to take sin out of the discussion when it comes to saving lives. I mean, if we're going to talk about what we need to do to educate our children, even in schools, we're not educating our kids. We're not telling them the truth about sex. We're not telling them that they can get HIV. Uh, We're not telling them how they can get it. All we're saying is don't do it. That's just like putting your keys in front of a thief and telling that thief not to move your car. Right. And you know he's going to carjack you. You already know what the history is. And says sex is a normal body function. Why can't we tell children the truth about sex? And just tell them, you know, this is what happens when you, you know, you, 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 you feel this way. And when you put yourself in this situation, this is how your body is going to respond. Why can't we tell them that you're at this age, but you're not ready yet? Emotionally, you're not ready yet. Physically, your body is not really developed enough for you to handle this. But there's nothing wrong with educating a child the way he or she needs to be educated in order for them to protect themselves. Well, and also I think it's a a combination of a lot of things in terms of instilling self-esteem and making... You know, it's like you want them to develop to, like you said, hormones take over long before they're psychologically ready for the ramifications of all the stuff that's going on in their heads. But you want to be honest with them and say, like, listen, these things are going to enter your mind. That you just, as a a normal human teenager, Mm -hmm. you know, this is going to happen to you. You're going to have thoughts about this, whatever you do, and, you know, to act on it or not is, that's your choice, but here are the facts mm-hmm. to help you know, guide you. We have we have an after-school program, and, and, and God has so blessed us with, with the kids that we've been fortunate enough to work with. And I say we were fortunate enough to work with because these children, their parents, first of all, I give a shout-out and applaud them because they actually sign consent forms for their children to be educated about HIV and AIDS. I mean, we have children who are certified in HIV and AIDS 101, cultural competency, 
these kids uh, peer education. We even, I mean, these we even took a group of kids from ages nine and up and taught them. I mean, they know. You know, we taught these kids. We showed them condoms. We showed them woodies, and we showed them how to put that condom on a penis. And there were kids who got up and were able to do it, and they weren't embarrassed. See, we've got to take the shame out of, of out out of health. You know, right. this is a health issue. We need the kids to know what their body parts are. That's not a little kitty, kitty, kitty. That's not a kitty. That's your vagina. And you need to know what happens with that if you do certain things with it, uh, if you allow certain things to be done to it. So we have to educate our kids. Uh, my first cousin's little girl is nine years old, and she can tell you, what, you know, how to get, you know, what about HIV and AIDS. And she'll tell you, uh, you know, like one of my first cousins got pregnant after being a, when an intern with me. The girl is what? She graduated from college and she got pregnant. And uh, my little cousin, Chloe, came over and said, Miss Joyce, didn't she, didn't so-and-so take a class with you? I was like, yeah. Well, how could she get pregnant? Don't she know? I know you told her about having unprotected sex. And I'm sitting there looking at her like, yeah, I did. She said, well, you know, I really need to call her because, see, she need to stop that. (laughs) 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 So I got on the phone, I called my cousin and told her, look, Chloe's going to give you a call. So this uh, is the conversation you're going to have with Chloe, and Chloe did that. She wanted well, to know, well, since Miss Joyce had talked to you about, you know, condoms, did you not have a condom that night? Miss Joyce have condoms. You could have got one from her. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, my God. <laughs> no, but that's great. That's great. I mean, it just shows that she doesn't have this, you know, the sense of shame or embarrassment, yeah. which is like, it's it's great. Mm-hmm. So when that we, awesome. when we, um, when real we, quick, I just want to uh, take a break. Go um, ahead. Just a uh, real quick, uh, little break. I want to play a uh, PSA, and when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about um, the ADAP situation because I know you're very much involved in that, and I also want to talk about um, the day that you were diagnosed and how that was. So just give me no thirty problem. seconds, and we'll be right back. Gotcha. Thank you. I contracted a preventable disease from a guy that looks good and smells good but never mentioned that he had HIV. But he is not to blame. I should have loved myself enough to protect myself. But through it all, I found self-love and it's the greatest thing I ever felt. I was never less than or equal to age but always greater. I just realized that not caring for myself or my body, I was my biggest hater. I am author of the Naked Truth, Marvin Brown, and I am greater than age. And we are back with Pause I Am Radio, Jack McEnroe, Robert Brining here. Bishop Joyce, how are you? I'm wonderful. Fabulous. I'm, I'm enjoying I've been quiet because I feel like I'm listening to a great conversation between the both of you. So that's why i kind of been listening for a little <laughs> bit. And I haven't been saying much. But I, I want to talk about the day that you were diagnosed. And, and what was that day like for you? Uh, busy. Actually, it was busy. <laughs> Well, it was uh, one of the things, one of the last things at the end of my day. It was uh, November the 14th, 2001, at 4 o'clock in the afternoon at R.K. Long Memorial Hospital. Um, That's the way it was. You know, I was told that uh, I walked in to have an appointment with the uh, nurse, well, it was was a nurse there at the the, uh, Health and Wellness Center. And she gave me my diagnosis. Uh, I'd only gone to the to the lung because I kept getting having this problem with my leg. My leg wouldn't heal, and um, I went to the wound clinic. So I got so sick that I finally had to go uh, to see an, uh, uh, someone, a doctor that I knew in high, from high school. And uh, the nurse practitioner saw me, and she said, well, it appears that you, uh, your immune system may be compromised, so you can't afford these tests here. So they sent me to the public hospital from a private physician. And I stayed there. I sat there and for a minute. Well, when I say a minute, I'm talking like a couple of uh, During that time, the service was real bad. And if you were not bleeding or shot or cut, you had to sit there for almost 24 hours before you were seen. Right. And... Um, when I did see was a nurse, uh, a young intern, she looked at me and she opened, had me to open my mouth and she said, it appears that your immune system has been compromised, same subject. And I'm thinking, I don't know what that is. And she asked, would I be interested in taking a test? I said, sure, I just want to know what's wrong with me. Took a test and put it in the back of my mind, didn't know what, what the test was. 
I uh, didn't know anything about HIV AIDS, and I went back in 14 days, and I was told that I was positive. Of course, I think my doctor, Dr. Zhang, almost had a heart attack because I'm sitting there thinking, okay, you've told me I'm HIV positive, now what else do I have to do? And she's sitting there waiting for me, I guess, to fall out, and I'm thinking, well, I'm just glad I know what's wrong. Now I can fix it. So uh, right. that was my day, and I went home and got the kids dressed to go to Hammond to perform um for Bishop M. B. Jefferson uh out of uh, Atlanta at a uh at a revival. And then about I think about eight o'clock that evening we were finished. We were sitting at McDonalds and I decided to disclose to the two adults that were with me. I will advise anybody to think very carefully before disclosing to anybody at at uh McDonald's. That's not the place to tell somebody you're positive. <laughs> <laughs> not tell anybody you're positive at McDonald's. Oh, my gosh. That's um, it, funny. That was, I mean, I thought, you know, I ended up having to drive back because the guy that was, that had taken the kids, he was so shaken. He was in tears, and the young lady, she was my neighbor, and uh, her daughter and her son were part of the group that I was uh, working with. And she was in shock, and I'm thinking, okay. And they're sitting there wondering, well, Aunt Jenna, I'm thinking, I'm the one positive, so why are y'all crying? <laughs> but I disclosed within four hours, between four and five hours of finding out that I was positive. I mean, I just thought I had to tell somebody. And uh, when I told my little cousin, Kim, she just came apart. She was like, anybody but you. And I'm like, why not me? And even my sister, uh my sister said, I, I don't understand, um, my middle sister, she said, but you're the one who's doing all the praying, all the things right, you know, how could it be you? And I said to her, I said, well, did you ever stop to think that because I'm praying and because I'm strong, maybe this is why God chose me instead of you? Because well, I can handle that's, it. That's what I was going to say. I'm like, so, you maybe know, it was that's okay. Why. I mean, I'm like, okay, here, I got something else on my plate I got to handle, so... I just kept, you know, I, well, I figured, you know, having gone through all the things I've gone through in life, it's just that God needed a voice and he chose to use mine, and it's okay. And AIDS is not the worst thing in the world that could have happened to me, you know. Right. So it's, it's now, okay. you seem you seem to handle it fairly well. Did you, how educated were you about HIV before? I mean, you said you I didn't really know much, not at all? No. So did, um, it didn't, did it, were you scared or? Actually, the more you no. learn about it? I, I was, to be honest with you, I was just relieved. No, I was relieved because I knew that something was happening with my body. First, I was 52 years old at the time of my diagnosis. I just turned 52 on the 9th and got my diagnosis on the 14th. That's a beautiful, isn't that a nice birthday present? Happy birthday. Um, <laughs> thank you. I mean, you know, wrapped all up in a little, little, little note. But uh, for me, I just needed to know what it was. And the only, my only experience with HIV had been with my first cousin the fall of 2000, the fall of 2000, when I baptized him uh, at his mother's home. And then the spring of 2001, I stood in the church and read his eulogy. And then the, the the fall, the spring of 2001, I read his eulogy. And then the fall of 2001, I was diagnosed. All I felt was just gratitude, grateful that God had created me the way that he had and that I had been so receptive and so open to this young man who was dying from AIDS who needed to be baptized and nobody really wanted to touch him. Um, I felt fortunate in that knowing that I was somewhat prepared because I saw him at the end of his life, and his life was not so tragic. Um, he was still cooking for his mom. He was still trying to clean up, still trying to do some things that, you know, he forced himself. He pushed his way through. And then I couldn't, afraid, I couldn't afford to be afraid because at the time of my diagnosis, my grandchildren were living with me. And my little four-year-old grandson came in from school one afternoon when I was feeling absolutely horrible and i said to him i said trey i said miss joyce doesn't feel good this evening so what do you want to eat i'm thinking he wants a sandwich he said oh just give me a new york strip and some pork and beans and i'm thinking (laughs) (laughs) i can't afford to be sick i can't afford to die i gotta get him feed this kid i got up and i cooked 
And I looked at this child and I said to myself, I said, you know what? He's my reason for living. Right then and there, I knew I could not afford to not live because I knew that he was depending on me. So I got up and I cooked and I've been pushing it ever since. It's like, oh, how dare you? I haven't even had time to be sick. <laughs> wow, that is incredible. Uh, real quickly, I um, have about 10 minutes left. I just want to open the phone lines if anybody wants to call in. Um, you can reach us at 347-215-9442 and press the number one button. Also, we have a message coming out of the Pause IM chat room here. I uh, wanted to let you know that Mark from Saudi Arabia was really impressed with your message and wanted to let you know that your message has now made it there as well. Wow, thanks. He was That's very awesome. happy with that. So tell us about um, Aspirations. Oh, Aspirations is a nonprofit organization that started out as the Black Angels in Action where I was working with kids that lived in uh, public housing. And I wanted to teach these kids how to dream their way out of poverty. And uh, once I was diagnosed positive, then the Black Angels in Action became more like a calling card. They were they would dance, and I they would help me exercise and help me get myself strong enough to continue to work with them. So then uh, aspirations grew out of a class that I took also at Southern University, a grant writing class, and that was my project. Uh, and my professor gave me a B, and I created aspirations to show her that I, w- I did A work. So 10 years <laughs> later, I'm still out here doing the work. And uh, she later told me that she gave me a B because she didn't feel like I'd given her enough in my paper. So uh, aspirations is uh, making a difference in the community. We do more work on a national level than we do locally uh, as far as community services and um I Aspirations has reached out to a lot of local businesses, and we were constantly bothering 100 black women, the, uh, the National Coalition of 100 Black Women of the Greater Baton Rouge area. I bothered them so much until they inducted me uh week before last as one of their newest members. So I'm now oh. one of the 100 great black women. So uh, Aspirations has, has really evolved. We've evolved into a nationally known, or I would say a worldwide known organization where we are really making a difference in the lives of children and and the elderly, the homeless, and we're reaching people where they are, and we're offering them a hand up instead of, you know, a hand down. And we're really bringing dignity. Aspirations has brought dignity to the word AIDS because we we refuse to allow anybody to define us by the disease that we live rather than the life that we uh the lives that we impact. Right. Well I have a caller here, so let me bring uh, the caller on air. Area code two six seven. Uh what's your name and where are you calling from? Hey, this is Lauren. I'm calling from Philadelphia. Hey Lauren, hey. how you doing, man? Hey, good, good, good. Um, Joyce, I just wanted to say to you, um, this is the first time I've ever heard of you. And I just really admire um, your point of view. Um, I can relate to you. I can relate to you in a, on a lot of levels. Um, like when you said that the nurse was expecting you to fall out, um, mm-hmm. and within four hours you're telling people at McDonald's. Um, like as soon as I found out, within a few hours, I told I told uh, my ex partner and then my best friend. Um, and for me, it took like about two or three years before I actually cried about having HIV. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just wondering if you've come to that point yet where you're kind of like have a chance to settle down and you're like kind of mourn the loss of your HIV negative life, I guess. Well, actually, no. The only time I've cried, I was doing an interview and I was asked a question and the question that I had, they, they wanted to know what would, you know, why I was so determined to live. And when I talked about the impact that my grandchildren had on my life, that's when, you know, the tears came. And I was doing an interview with a young man in New Orleans at at one of the, at a a positive conference for the National Association of People with AIDS, where I had been the keynote speaker. That was in 2000, I think it was 2005 or 2006. 
But ironically enough, I began to tell my story and began to cry, and that person cried with me. That was the only time I remember really say breaking down and crying uh, about my HIV status. And it was not, it was just not, as far as ever moaning about, you know, the loss of my HIV negative status, uh-huh. no. That I never even, I, you know what, I never thought about it. I've never thought about it. I mean, because my life is, really has not been that different as an HIV positive woman. It has That's, not really been that different. Yeah. Okay. Cool. But thank you. Thank you. Interesting. And, and Robert, you wanted to ask her something about ADAP? Yes, I did. I wanted you to, because um, you were at the, you know, the ADAP conference and you were a speaker there. And I, you're involved with also <laughs> the the um, oh, the C2EA, right? Yeah, I was, uh, I'm the former national co-chair of the Campaign to End AIDS and right. the former state chair of the Campaign to End AIDS. Um, and I... Um, I and, and I am a member of, of ADAP. I, you know, we, ha- we used to have another ADAP program, and I, I was brought into that in my early, that was early, I guess, in 2001, because I was diagnosed 2001. Went to my first conference in 2001. I, in, in December, December 16, 2001, I went to my first HIV AIDS conference. And I ended up uh, on the world stage just simply by accident, uh, by, by writing a, uh, to NMAC, and they ended up bringing me to Phil- to Boston to get become an advocate, and the rest is history. But I became so involved in the ADAP fight because there were so many people, you know, I knew how to get my meds, but there were so many people who didn't. And now the fight is even more critical because of the budget cuts. And, and I think we need more advocates, and, and, and it's just ADAP. The, the group that I'm a part of, uh, the uh, you know, the Association of um, what is it? A- advocacy, advocacy Association uh, for Drugs for the Drug Assi- uh, uh, Prescription Pro- Assistance Program. It is so it's it's very necessary, and I know that people think that advocates are out here just trying to position themselves to better themselves, but we are here fighting to make sure that the money come back to the states. I mean, we're working in D.C., we're we're going around, and we become pests uh, to some of our senators and our congresspeople, but at least they know who we are. And we're out there reminding them how critical it is that we have the funding to adequately provide meds and health care for people who are living with HIV and AIDS. It's necessary. We can't really afford to lose any more money when it comes to research. We can't afford to lose any more money when it comes to to housing. We have to have every dime in Ryan White funding. We need it is critical. It is crucial because we know that there's a direct correlation between homelessness and the and the uh, and new infections of HIV and AIDS. So uh we we ask so ADAP is necessary and we're begging Every elected official, whether it is on a local level, city level, state level, or national level, to to, to, to look around in your community, look around in your church, and find that person who's looking with, living with HIV and AIDS, and ask him and her, him or her, what can you do? And we're asking that person to look around for your city council people, whoever these people are that we have elected to provide us with a service in Washington, D.C., to look beyond their party lines and began to work to do and provide for us those services that we adequately need, especially when it comes to ADAP. I completely agree. Well, Joyce, we are actually done. The, the show's about to end. We have about a minute left. I want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing your message with us. I apologize for the caller I couldn't get to who's on hold. Um, I'm sorry. Where can people contact you at? I can be reached at area code 225-288-8161. Also, uh, they can Google my name and they can find me uh, at aspiringdreams.co or they can get, reach me at aspirations, that's A-S-P-I-R-I-N-G-D-R-E-A-M-S, 2005 at yahoo.com. That's my email address. So they can feel free to call me at any time. Thank you so much for hanging out with us for the hour and sharing your message. 
You're Great. fabulous. You're Thank fabulous. you, Jack, and love you, Robert. <laughs> love you too, sweetie. Have a good night. Have a good, have a good holiday. Thank you. You too. Merry Christmas yep. to everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. And remember, folks, um, we are actually uh, going to end the show now. We have like 10 seconds. Uh, more information on the fabulous Jack McEnroth at jackmackenroth.com. More information on the radio show archives and myself at pausewayam.com. Jack, have a great Christmas. You too. I will be tan, and you'll be freezing. <laughs> yes, I will. And um, uh, happy New Year too, because we won't return until after the New Year. So have fun. All right, man. I'll talk to you Bye-bye. soon. Bye. Bye. What's going on out here? We got changes to make. It's time to wake up for humanity's sake. Break the silence today before it's too late. AIDS is affecting us, disrespecting us. I'ma go get tested. It's a simple maneuver. It's not about the past. It's about my future. I'm not trying to miss it. I won't be a statistic, so I protect myself whenever I'm intimate. At this moment, I decided to have a plan. It's time to take a stand, because AIDS, I'm greater than. This is Senior Chaos, and this was my deciding moment. Tell us yours at greaterthan.org. Thank you for joining us this evening, and we wish everybody a happy holiday, Merry Christmas, Happy Kwanzaa, Hanza, all the good stuff that you have, and I hope you have a great new year, and we welcome you all to join us back after the new year.